Hey, welcome to the Mostly Skateboarding Podcast. I'm your host, Temple Tonelli, and I'm joined, as always, by Jason from Frozen and Carbonite and Patrick Kaganga, who's now officially part of Mostly Skateboarding. Uh, we think three is a magic number of panelists for the show, so we'll be rotating the panel. That means Patrick, Jason, Mike, and myself will take a week off every four weeks. Uh, we're really excited for this new chapter of the show and stoked to have you join us, Patrick. Thank you for having me. It's uh, It's very flattering. Yeah, of course. Got a lot of good feedback from it and like all of us were really stoked to have you on the show. So yeah, stoked, hell yeah. stoked to talk to you even more on a yeah. regular basis. Uh, now on to the show. This week we're talking about Pontus Alves' interview with Slam City. Uh, but first, ABDs. For those who don't know, ABD refers to tricks that have already been done. Typically, professional skate media doesn't accept ABDs. Once a trick's been done at a spot, it's spent and no one can come do it again and hope to get the same value from it. Ben Powell wrote this week for Free Skate Mag about the shift in acceptance of ABDs. Jason, have you noticed more ABDs popping up lately? Somewhat, um, both in kind of like higher up in the media hierarchy, like with you know parts on Thrasher or whatever, and also uh, on your Instagram or whatnot. But I mean, ABDs are like a, it's a spectrum, plus everything is contextual. Like on one end of the spectrum, there's like, if you do someone's signature trick at a signature spot that they had done in an actual according to Hoyle video part. For example, like if someone did like a frontside nose grind down El Toro uh, as like a single trick in their part, that that's probably like unforgivable. They'd probably catch some shit for that. You know what I mean? Because that's like Shane Cross's like signature trick. Uh, you know, rest in peace, Shane Cross. On the other end of the spectrum is just doing the same trick on Instagram that someone had done in a video part somewhere. Like, you know what I mean? Doing a switch kickflip over a table in a line or something. You know what mm. I mean? In the middle there, and this usually comes up on the slap board, like doing something that some guy did in a shop vid five years ago. You know what I mean? That's one of the ways that it usually comes up. And also, you know, the world dudes like Ronnie Krieger, Adam McNatt, Eric Austin, they did everything pretty much that you can do on a ledge between 1992 and 1996 anyway. So sometimes the MBD or ABD comes up along those lines. That was more like with fully flared. Like they kind of uh, took a bunch of shit from those years. And it's not even really ABD. They just kind of did it on an actual ledge. You know what I mean? So I'm not really that mad at that. But um, Not a micro curb? <laughs> yeah, not like a two-inch like piece. But not like on a piece of angle iron. You know what I mean? On, yeah. On a floor. Yeah, or like uh, with a football board with it was like 35 millimeter wheels. Yeah, where it bounces on the ground before you catch it and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. You know what? I think speaking of fully flared, I think the reason why I think a lot of those updates, those tricks were so welcome was because it was around that time where a lot of people hadn't seen many of the canonical videos from the early to mid-90s. And a bunch of them were really difficult to come by. I mean, it was very easy to get secondhand smoke. I mean, that was something that was traded all over the country, probably all over the world. Same thing with questionable virtual reality. Every Most people had at least seen video days. Tim and Henry was already developing a kind of like a cult-like um, a cult-like following. Oh, yeah. There's a there's a bunch of stuff. There's a bunch of, like, what is it, like the Union video? There's a bunch of early 411s that the majority of people who were skating around that time had never seen. And even to this day, people have never seen. It's just the thing is now we have much more access, so we have a much wider frame of reference. Um, also, back then, I guess maybe maybe the 
the debate about MBD versus ABD was much, much higher because people were skating fewer spots. Like you could have a, a whole video shot at, uh, at EMB. Like for example, right. is it Love Child? Yeah. So of course much. it's going to be noticeable. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, Love Child was like three spots. It was like uh, Mark Darrow, like uh, Lockwood, whatever school was ever skating back then, World Park, blah, blah, blah. You know Except I mean? for day one. Yeah, yeah, Daywan, he, he just skates schools, like, whatever, half a mile from his house or whatever. He's, uh, well, he's fucking Daywan. But, uh, yeah, also yeah, just, another important factor is uh, the city and, like, who's doing the trick. For example, like, if some, whatever, if a Brazilian dude comes to New York and does some MVD at whatever, CBS Ledge, whatever the fuck uh, heritage spot there is, it won't mm-hmm. hold as much weight as, like, a New York dude doing it. You know what I mean? So there's all, there's all types of yeah. contextual factors going on. Yeah, context matters for sure. Um, I feel like the ABD thing is kind of a um, a symptom of the descent of legacy skate media. You know, like before Instagram, before the internet, you know, Thrasher, Transworld, the Skateboard Mag, all the print media were kind of like the gatekeepers. So they would they would see that and see your trick and be like, oh, this trick is ABD by, you know, whoever back in whatever video. So it's not, you know, worthy of getting published. But now, you know, nobody's there to, to be your editor. And it's just like, whatever you want to do, put it out on the, on the internet and people will will accept it or will consume it or they won't. But it's, there's nobody there to stop it. Yeah, funny thing. I was uh, I was doing the usual rudimentary internet research, getting ready for the podcast, and I just like searched the term MBD on Thrasher, and there was like a slew, like a hundred results. You know what I mean? In all the um, descriptions for the video, so they obviously still care about MBDs over there and that part of the culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I I think MBDs are still important. You know, it still progresses uh, skateboarding, and I think that there's there's like legacy spots are like you know i think of them as like big game like known <laughs> spots like el toro or hollywood mm-hmm. high where like the big game hunters come to like make their mark it's like okay this guy did like a crooked grind i'm gonna do a frontside crooked grind or whatever like notching up you know the putting their name on that spot i think that that's still kind of like important and if, if somebody comes and does some a trick that somebody else did it's like it always feels like, uh, I don't know, like referential or like it makes you think about the person who did it first and the person who did it second just kind of feels, uh, I don't know, lame, I guess. What about the Wilshire 15 beef from a few years back with uh, Sharif Grady ollieing it and then throwing it up on the gram? And I think it was supposed to be was it Clint Walker's cover for Thrasher. And it was a huge back and forth via DMs about it. I mean, <laughs> textbook DM. example. It's like, uh, <laughs> what, it's like. If you, it's like, what was that quote on Slap? Like, if you got beef with me, DM me on Instagram like a man or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, you know, it, it's it's 2020. And, and this was what? This was 2016. I mean, are we are we about to go back to scrapping over spots? I mean, Shout maybe out to we Kelch. should. <laughs> yeah. Shout that out to was, James Kelch, the enforcer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, I think that was kind of a, uh, a moment there. when someone was just like, all right, I got this MBD. I'm just going to put it up on the gram as soon as possible. And, mm-hmm. you know, besides <laughs> saving it for uh, a video part. Yeah. You know, which is like kind of, that, that's the move now. Because mm-hmm. someone else might get it before, you know what I mean? Unless you're like a real, uh, you know, traditionalist. That's like, uh, 
That reminded me of the um, like the kick kickflip long ways over the table mm-hmm. that Tyshawn did. Yep. That kind of went viral, like on you know Instagram and Twitter. Not that many skate clips go viral on Twitter, but it did. You know what I mean? And like that's the kind of impact that you know what I mean that you look for. You know what I mean? Yeah. And like I'm over here like, oh wait a minute, Diego Nahar did this like a year ago. Blah blah blah. It's like kind of like no one cares. No, no, hell no. Because first of all, Tyshawn is Tyshawn. Yeah, yeah. The man was Sodi, is Sodi still, uh, forever legend. And it was just beautiful. It was perfect. I mean, also just his pop, you know, his posture, yeah. you know, his stance. Like, you know, he said it with his chest. He was aggressive <laughs> about it. But <laughs> I, I mean, going back to that thing about, I mean, about the, the concept of traditionalism and whether or not um, there should be beef over this. I think for much, much younger folks, especially cats who did not grow up with a pretty mature and established skate media. You know, we all grew up with Transworld, Thrasher, Slap, Big Brother, multiple magazines. We had 411. He later had the on video. We had a, you know, it wasn't a huge media environment, but it was sizable enough that there were conversations about what kind of content was going to be go out there. And the internet has changed everything. And it's a free-for-all now. And you're now seeing younger cats who do, they're not bound by the same morals, the same uh, the same codes and, you know, or norms. I think that's the big thing. These are norms. There's no rules, right? These have always been norms. There's nobody who's enforcing this, right? I mean, there was maybe a period back in the day, maybe in San Francisco, maybe at EMB and Pier 7, where cats would check you. People would, you know, might approach you, say something. But, I mean, realistically, nobody now is first of all who's going to enforce any of this and how are you going to how would you really how would you even begin policing it you know um and that's i think that's tough i think that's that's something really difficult for traditional media and that's why you you find that now when people are filming and working on things that they're really 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 keen of keeping stuff off the gram and i remember i went to some park a few years back and there was a dude who's trying to he was trying to backside flip. It was a gap with a fence over it. It was one that Josh Casper had done. This was, I think it was uh, Bellflower. It's a, kind of a weird bowl there that is um, funky. It's like the shape is a bit funky and it right. um, and it curves up uphill. Anyway, there's a, a spot right next to it. Josh Casper had done something on it way back when. I can't remember what. And there was this kid trying to backside flip it. And there was a photographer, a videographer there. And it was one of those, like, you can watch, but please do not take your phone out. And, you know, respect to them. Um, you just try to keep this stuff under wraps because next thing you know, it's someone's, you know, IG story. It's like, yo, it's crazy. He's, he's, he's doing it, man. Yeah. I mean, didn't that happen with Chris Cole doing the backside 360 down the love gap? Yeah. I was just thinking about that. Someone uh, poached it and put it on YouTube. <laughs> I, YouTube no, yeah, it was before Instagram because it was like... Uh, the ride the sky era and like someone posted it with like a flip phone or something and mm-hmm. put, put it on YouTube or something like that. But, um, yeah, along those lines, like kids these days, like they, they're, well, there's two schools of thought. Most, most kids, they're, they're just out there. They just want to document themselves and their friends doing cool shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That's they, like, um, there was a quarter snacks article about a year ago, you know, one a, a piece in the uh, trend watch series about, you know, the road to a post ABD society, basically like kids don't care about ABDs anymore. There's too many, there's too much media out there too hard to keep track of blah, blah, blah. And like, I guess like those gang corp dudes, they basically said in an interview, like they don't care about MBDs. They just like, don't care about them. Nope. 
No. No, sir. It's basically like the school of like, all right, we're just here to document ourselves doing cool shit. But there's still like, you know, the primitives out there who are still trying to progress linear, progressive skateboarding that, you know, that are out there trying to do MBDs on ledges, which is tight. You know what I mean? Like the guy, I guess they interviewed Dan McGee. Mm-hmm. Is he like a converse filmer? Is he the blueprint guy? Blueprint, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And he says, like, quote, and I quote, an MBD is a good thing if it's adding something to the cultural canon of skateboarding, which, you know, a few, there's some dudes out there who are still trying to do. Right. Like, and I would say that any NBD adds to the cultural canon of skateboarding. And maybe it's like the cultural canon of skateboarding in your town. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, Jason, yeah. like 50 50 this ledge. <laughs> like, yeah. That's canon now for like mm-hmm. your locals. Uh, so anybody who comes there is like, okay, I gotta like five zero the ledge or whatever. Yeah. Just to, like, I don't know. I think that there is like an inherent that like, you could have a whole, in skateboarding. You could have a whole conversation about hometown heroes. Uh, we had a guy called Joe Mayer. This dude was like, I think he was like six two, and he dressed like stereotypical baggy light colored jeans white tee some gum sole shoes and he was the first dude i ever saw board slide a handrail and he was he was the legend he was that he was that person right and i think every crew has this just like a a couple episodes ago we talked about everybody remembers that one cop well everybody remembers a hometown hero like you can still think of that person's name you can think about their push their trick selection and on a local or a scene tip that's a completely different conversation i would argue that the laws, or excuse me, the norms around NBD, ABD are much, much stricter amongst a scene or a clique of people because that's how you progress as an individual. Never mind skateboarding as a whole, especially sponsored skating, but you know, you want to add a little something. You don't want to just go and it's like, oh, my friend manual this mani pad, I'm going to do the same thing. Although I did show up one of the big homies way, way back in the day, this one manual pad. He did a very short one. I did a very long one. Mine was fresher, and I had a cool hat on that day. So I just got to big up myself right now. But things like that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, you you progressed it. You're like, okay, he did a short manual. I'm going to do a long manual. Mm-hmm. And yeah. going back to Hometown Heroes and NBDs, uh, I was on my first ever skate tour with Steve Barrett and Heath Kirchart, and we were going to the Alien Workshop. So we stopped by Cincinnati, and Joe Castrucci was showing us around and almost every spot it was like all right here's this you know gnarly rail and like kokomo joe did like this this and this here mm-hmm. and you know steven heath were like uh, okay well, next spot <laughs> and i was like okay yeah kokomo joe did this this and this and eventually like you know <laughs> we started saying like oh that spot's been kokomo joe'd <laughs> like, there's nothing left for us to do on it hey like that's a that's a real thing like a hometown hero and especially like Especially like, especially now that it's much more common for people to really go out of their way and traveling to different parts of the country. Like this was, um, like this was a big thing for fully flared, right? Like re, like Ty Evans being like, we're going to Arizona, we're going to Arkansas, Ohio, Iowa. We, I don't care. You know, we're getting some Ramada in, and we're finding so like y'all filming something, right? You, yeah, he was like he was like the mean headmaster. <laughs> There's a marble bench in Minneapolis, so we're going there. <laughs> yeah i mean it seems like north carolina is like that destination now for like crazy handrails yeah like, go mm-hmm. to north carolina you hang out with john evans 
He's going to take you to some shit. I'm sure he's got a, a list in his head of what's been done at every weird-ass handrail that North Carolina has to offer. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm sure he'd be like, Zion Wright did that crooked grind, so like, you better do something better. <laughs> You're I'm really sure out there in the sticks. <laughs> he, he wouldn't be like, okay, yeah, you do a crooked grind too, just you I know, mean, as a profession. There's 50 states. <laughs> There's 50 those, states. Those states got handrails like North Carolina, apparently. Okay, go there, get some barbecue, skate some handrails. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe, I mean, <laughs> maybe that's because Sinclair is from down there or whatever. So like, mm-hmm. he kind of knows. I don't know. That's pretty funny. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a Sinclair connection, and then John Evans is kind of like the the dude who knows. Right, the right. And it's crazy seeing that shit. Like, I grew up in North Carolina, and. You know, mm-hmm. we walked past a lot of handrails and just, like, kind of laughed about them as, like, oh, it'd be crazy if somebody did this, never thinking that anybody could or would. And then, like, now I see them pop up and I'm like, holy shit, somebody actually did it. Yeah. yeah. You know what it is? I think um, one thing that's really helped is that because of the diversification of skating and people really taking advantage of their hometown scenes, like... You think about all the cats who are doing stuff in Florida, the folks from New York and Boston who are flying down to Florida, Montreal, Ohio, primarily because of workshop, but now that's explained, expanded. Uh, um, Milwaukee, where I lived for a summer 20 years ago, had surprisingly good skating. I was staying at my uncle's house and um, I was working I was working in his office the summer before college. And there was a school right here which had these amazing banks. I mean, it was – and I'd never gotten to skate anything like that in suburban New York and definitely nothing like that that's smooth in, in New York City. And I think now, especially because of the internet and because low cost uh, low cost airfare, you I mean you've seen it this you've seen this in Europe, that now that nobody wants to just be like, oh I'm gonna come to California and do everything that's you know, skate the same school, skate the same spots, or go out of my way to go and find a new spot or light up a spot at three, four o'clock in the morning just so I can get something like let me go so like let me stay home. You know, let, let me let me chill out like like all the cats on quasi, you know, a lot of Pennsylvania and Ohio footage in there. Shout out to Paul Young. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that it's way better to see some cool shit in your hometown than just come out to California and like one up whatever on El Toro or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember I, I used to watch a lot of uh, Internet videos before Instagram and they would always be the like kid from germany or wherever who goes to california and films at the famous spots and it's just like you know that kid's not quite at the level of a costin or whatever other cali pro so it just all looks a little like mm-hmm. uh underwhelming but yeah you know that kid's hometown spots like some weird german monument or something it's like looks so sick and it's like why don't, why don't you just stick close to home and Show me that stuff. Because somebody, somebody had to, somebody had to show the way. And now, now there's, now there's a very clear path that shows that anything is possible, anything is skatable. And you know, we're not all innocent here. I mean, think about uh, a lot of American pros and AMs just sponsored skaters who went to Barcelona and were pretty much just skating Macba, 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 Macba. You know, that whole city is filled with skating. I mean, there's a beautiful, perfect spot pretty much on every corner. And I mean, yeah, we saw a lot of a lot of folks went over there, but it was only it's only been recently that people have really been diversifying where they're skating when they go to places in southern Europe. I mean, what's really cool is seeing folks going to going to Sicily, go to Sardinia, going to lots of, you know, small cities in the south of France, you know, just like finding like 
little things here and there. And it must make for much more, much more interesting editing when you're completing a, a filming trip because you have a much wider variety of spots and you know maybe you're a little bit more active in your trick selection process as you're going through and determining how things are going to flow because you have a lot more variety in what you're looking at as opposed to you know EMB transfer tape number 23 right yeah it's al- it's almost like Europe is the new California like for example in the new um you know DC team montage or whatever most of the stuff is like mm-hmm. barcelona milan berlin you know what i mean it's almost like all those little spots in those like yep. spots specifically because that's the kind of skating i fuck with like in like berlin paris mm-hmm. milan portugal all you know what i mean all interconnected or kind of like the new california where people go to film yeah i mean we missed you know you know, about yeah, about twenty years ago, when people really started going heavy on Barcelona, man. I mean, the combination of the exchange rate and can you imagine being in your early twenties and being like, "Hey, we're paying for your apartment. You can hang out all night, and the skating is amazing, and the food is cheap and amazing." Oh yeah, God. <laughs> no wonder people lost it. <laughs> yeah, why wouldn't you? Why would you, you know? choose to live in Los Angeles when you could live in Barcelona? <laughs> exactly. You know, I, I mean, yeah, like in that aspect, I think it's it's awesome. Like skating has really has really opened up. But like spinning it back to NBD versus ABD, I think the other thing is that it's not so much uh, it's not so much a, a, that you're policing the way people are skating. In some ways, it's kind of like uh, um, you're forcing people to really get creative, right? Really think outside of the box and not just be like, oh, I'm just going to do whatever I saw it in a video and uh, I'll just do it because it's easy or it's it's my go to trick. I think it's it's cool. It's it's kind of cool that you are forced to think about things a different way, which then leads me to this question. What if somebody does an NBD, but the outfit is whack? I think I think as far as like NBDs go, it's like it counts. But I think that the, it leaves the door open for somebody to come and do that better. You know, like like uh, Jason was saying earlier, like all this shit got done on like a little tiny manual pad in the world park. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you know, go out and do that on a cool looking ledge in downtown Cincinnati or something. And then that's like new and exciting. Yeah. Cause like you think about like Henry Sanchez, right? It was probably like 10 years before anyone really caught up to him and Tim and Henry. There's tricks in that part that people still haven't done. Like the oh. fucking, uh, for example, whatever, like 5-0 backside 180 to backside 180 nose grind on a curb or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, pretty much, yeah, it took people like 10 years to catch up to that shit for sure. Yeah. I mean, like just speed alone, nobody was skating that fast. Like all his tricks looked amazing. Like it, it's, I mean, has there been a part recently? in like the last decade that was as mind-blowing and i'm talking like real deal holy field something that people are still trying to wrap their heads around because like tim and henry's is one of those parts that keeps even to this day keeps coming up in in conversation and the younger kids who are discovering it on youtube they're you know they're getting their minds blown too also tim gavin's part is also very good no yeah i love tim gavin's part it's cool as shit didn't it, like he his i think he had a nbd his was a, one of his was a kickflip backside nose blunt on a curb and yeah. like a nice one too. No, that's right. No, shout out Tim Gavin. Uh, shout out the Gav for sure. The Gav and uh, the Gavin Group Realty. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Him, Richard Mulder. Shout out to all my skateboard realtors out there. You know, when people get their Dude. little slice of the American dream. I'll tell you. Sure. 
Let me get that discount. I bought enough of your shoes. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> enough DVSs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, dude, bro, it would probably be impossible for a video part to come out with that type of impact. You know what I mean? Just because there's so much me out there. Maybe the Dylan part, because that was such a paradigm shift. Which one, Cherry or the solo part? The solo part. Ooh. Yeah, I, I think maybe. that was one that changed the game, but maybe it wasn't quite like the Tim and Henry's one is more like about progression, uh, and the Dylan part was more about style. I think. Yeah, good style, impeccable outfit. Oh my god! And and he was actually interesting story. I remember this was years ago, and I went to see I went to see Interpol in Marseille, and we were waiting for the train to go back to Nice super late at night. We're waiting for the first train, so we're just kind of looking around for bars that were open, and we're hanging out with this dude from, I don't know where, like middle of nowhere, uh, Pennsylvania, right? And we're talking about music, and, you know, this was 2003, so we're talking about The Strokes, and he was saying, you know, let me tell you, man, sometimes there's a band that just comes along, it changes the way you dress, changes the music that you listen to, and just changes you and changes everything that you think about yourself. And it actually really stuck with me because there are groups like that. There are, you know, you can buy one record, right? Like there's a great Noel Gallagher quote about people have no problem spending 10 pounds, 15 pounds on two coffees, but won't spend the same amount of money on a record that could change their life. Same thing with skating. Like that, uh, that Dylan solo part plus the cherry part, all of a sudden, just like the fashion game, the fit game changed just like that. It was like high waters, high socks, you know, little thin canvas shoes, you know, kind of baggy-ish shirt, kind of messed up. And just all of a sudden, just like looking like on some CK1, that was the vibe. So maybe in, on that tip, should that be factored in? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that's a factor in like the ABD conversation, but I think it's certainly like a... A paradigm, sh- a paradigm shifting video part that like changed skateboarding, like for sure. Was it the Impossibles? Yeah, I mean, certainly impossible. over the bench was NBD. Yeah, wait, Ed Templeton never did a Impossible over a bench on flat. I mean, I'm sure he did, but I mean, for me, I think with ABDs and NBDs, it's like there's only so many tricks. Like mm-hmm. you can do an Impossible over a bench in your city, and it's not like. I don't think you're necessarily parodying Dylan or mm-hmm. like, it's just like, I want to do an impossible over something tall. This bench is like the tallest thing that I can reasonably get over. So I'm going to go over this bench. And I don't even, I don't even think necessarily that it would even count as like an homage. I think an homage would just depend on like how it's filmed and how it's presented. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that just goes back to the context thing. Whereas like the line between homage or like biting, no, mm. what about something contested right like uh like like love park right so the story goes that it's choppy omega was the first one to ollie it but wasn't it vinnie ponte was the first one to get it on film yeah and it's like a subject of some controversy in philly i mean <laughs> does that really you know for example like what if what if it's very very well known that somebody did it first but nobody got it on film or nobody filmed it or like i would say like there was something Guy Mariano got. Okay, back to Tim and Henry's. I think he had the first switch tray down a set of stairs, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah. So, oh, he had the switch tray at that double. He also had a switch tray down that double set that yeah. was in all of the 101 video, 101 and um, and Tim and Henry and in 
uh, virtual reality somewhere down in uh, El Segundo, I think. Yeah, there was um there was an interview about that recently. Like I think it went like like the double set has a re- really long runway and guys mm-hmm. are pushing or whatever. And for some reason, Socrates, I think it was Socrates. Not yeah, it was Sock. Yep. Sock was filming in, but he ran out of battery or something. And everyone was like, no, 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 no stop. I'm paraphrasing here. And mm-hmm. like, guy was just like, fuck it. And then like, did it just like, did it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was, he was over it. He was just like, I'm yeah. not doing it. Again. Yeah. I, yeah. I think, <laughs> I think that type of like apocryphal, like legend counts. Mm. I mean, if it's like common knowledge and this is going way back to the days before, uh, yeah, because like Jeremy Ray destroyed that double set in Secondhand Smoke. Oh yeah, yeah. It was like between him and Gino, because Gino did a couple really dope tricks down in um, I think it was Snuff, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I mean, just I'm just thinking about it, like especially like Philly in the '90s was a you know it was a contentious place. Like you know beef regularly spilled over into into actions, and you know a fight could be started over something like that, but. You know, um, yeah, it was Vinnie Ponty and some some contest at Love Park. It was super packed and boom. And then I think Jamie Thomas later on in some other contest back when he did it, right? I think so. Those, I think both of those were in 411 made. Probably not the same 411. But yeah, I think Jamie Thomas backside 180 did it in 94. Mm-hmm. If I remember my 411s correctly because the quote was budget tour 94. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah that's, I, when, that's when he had all that footage in like DC and shit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. He was like on some like Greyhound bus tour, which is pretty fucking sick, really. Yeah, it, it's kind of. I mean, it, it's. Did he have any NBDs at? Uh, oh, I guess maybe his barefoot tricks at EMB, but does that count? Nah. nah. <laughs> I mean, I, that's kind of just feels like something that nobody's gonna really want to like. <laughs> barefoot tricks aren't like a, a category that people are competing in so i, I think oh man <laughs> i think it's like get that minute okay that's that's yours that's fine i don't know i mean like should we give him points for risking tetanus i mean like <laughs> bare feet on a san francisco street or on the bricks at emb like come on man <laughs> i don't know i mean to me the barefoot thing is like it doesn't look good and skateboarding you know above all else needs to look good so like I don't know. Even and Brian Anderson? Did, did Brian Anderson do some barefoot skating? Oh, no, just recently, like a barefoot yeah, yeah, train. He, that was... Yeah, it, he just did like a 360 flip. I'm, but those things are like, those are like impressive, pardon the pun, feats. <laughs> oh! But, uh, <laughs> but it's not like, oh, shit, did you see that sick-ass Brian Anderson tray flip? He just happened to not be wearing any shoes. It's like, it's about not wearing shoes. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's kind of like a like a circus trick or whatever, right? Yeah, so to speak. I, I will take... always remember that barefoot lip side on the thirteen stair handrail that Jamie Thomas did. I think that was in Welcome to Hell. That was yeah, that was pretty impressive. As you know, as a feat, like that's really risking your toes. Mm-hmm. I still think he was robbed for Sodi that year. I mean, Costin's pardon mouse is amazing, but come on, man, Jamie Thomas skating to Iron Maiden. Yeah, I mean that's Ooh. that's fucking canon. It's well, I think well there is uh there's probably some industry politics that work there. Yeah, there no, might. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I mean I guess that's like some probably some San Diego beef or something. Yeah, some, some yeah. But I mean, come on. I mean, hallowed be thy name, my Iron Maiden. Like, I mean, there's a a certain segment of skateboarding where you put that song on, they stand up and put their hand over their heart. 
you know <laughs> i mean i can't listen to that song and not have feelings for sure <laughs> i mean it's like that opening run at the banks Ooh. yeah well i know what song we're gonna close the podcast with now <laughs> it's so good i mean <laughs> jamie thomas yeah um i'm trying to think okay what about okay what about what about an homage? Like, what about throwing something in your part, like, as, like, uh, not as a sub, but as homage, where you're just, like, I'm shouting out a part that was really influential to me. I'm, I'm you know, I'm going to do this one trick. Oh, well, that was, uh, like, Mark Johnson in Fully Flared, right? He had a mm-hmm. bunch of shit that, like, I guess Daywan did, and, like, those two DECA videos and shit, maybe, like, mm-hmm. a Henry Sanchez homage. So he was definitely on that wave in Fully Flared, which was cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think homage is cool because it, it, it's like kind of just acknowledging the dudes who came before us and like it, it paying respects. I mean, I don't know how the dudes take it. Like, you know, they might be like, fuck, dude, you just did <laughs> did my trick on a better spot. Like, took me out. Like, fuck you. But, <laughs> you know, that's just skateboarding. Has anyone ever done an homage to Shiloh? Um, like, for I'm thinking, a, like, Jeff Rowley did, um, like a backside 270 board slide on that one blue rail, like mm. go, going down a hallway at some school in California that everyone skated. Yeah. I, th- I think, uh, but I don't, not sure if it was like an homage. It was that rail that like Tom Penny did like a switch kickflip over, like switch front side when he kickflip over. That's the like San Diego high? Yeah, I think right that's now? it. Yeah, San, yeah, San Diego. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't feel like that was a, a homage. That just felt like progression yeah yeah because yeah. you know shiloh did it on the uh the hp rail which is relatively small and jeff really was like all right well so i got him i just assumed this is a thought process he was like oh well i saw this in love child i guess i'll try you know i mean i'll try on this mm. rail going super fast down the hill which is crazy are there still um are there still handrails like that because maybe that there was some shift in ada standards because i do not see small little tiny learner rails anywhere anymore yeah, I feel like those medium rails are tough to come by. You know, like you can you can still find your like four or five stair handrail and then like clearly the like big old kink rails are around. But yeah, there's probably some ADA standards that keep those learner mid mid tier rails from going in. Yeah, which is a shame because <laughs> oh, that would be that would be the move, you know, just be like, oh, I'm just going to go. I'm going to practice. I'm going to work my way up. No, nah, it's like it seems like you see kids going into the deep end, mostly because. You know, big rail to skate park. That's what there is to skate. All right, cool. I'm going to learn on this. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a product of the skate parks. Well, those, uh, I think we talked about this a while ago, but those primitive guys keep finding the little rails. <laughs> they yep. doing like mad tech shit on them. God, that team is so good. Just, wow. So, so, so good. Is is P-Rod, like, was he injured recently? I know he's doing some acting. Uh, I feel like maybe he was injured. I don't know. I don't really keep up with P-Rod these days. I think he was injured in, like, within the past few years. But I mm-hmm. think he's just consciously being more of, like, a, you know, brand manager mm-hmm. type of uh, role. You know what I mean? Letting the other dudes shine a little bit. You know what I mean? He needs to give us one more classic part. I mean, he's been he's been putting shit on the gram like your usual like whatever switch tail switch heel out type of shit. You know what I mean? Just need but, one uh, more. That's, yeah. that should be everybody, every pro. Before you before you call it quits, you got to give us one, just one, <laughs> one more classic. You know? Yeah, you I, get I the gold times, watch. I think a lot of times it's not like a conscious like 
they don't know it's their last part until it's too late to call it the last part. Mm. Uh, it's it's different now because like I mean Jason Lee like his I guess his last part was Tin Can Folklore the stereo video I still haven't seen. Yeah, I don't even know. <laughs> it just kind of faded away. Yeah, because like you know what? Because it came out the same summer as Welcome to Hell trilogy and Mouse. So I was like, "Come on, man!" <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. stereo is a little outgunned in that. Yeah, uh, well, I mean, Tin Tin Can Folklore is chill, but like, uh, like Greg Hunt's part is really cool in that. But like Jason Lee's part wasn't even a real part. It was just from like some jump ramp footage from like 1987 or whatever. Mm, yeah, and yeah, the 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 vocabulary in, in the video world, like that didn't quite exist yet, right? Like it kind of, they said that they were really into four track demos. It was like, oh, it was very kind of like homespun feel, which was weird because, you know, visual sound was so, it was such a game changer. First of all, oh, the skating, like Mike Dar, you know, and just like the look and the feel of it. I mean, that was like sophistication. It was like, oh, you get yourself some high waters and a cool polo. You know, if you smoked, you'd smoke closed cigarettes and just be like, yo, we're going to listen to Stereo Lab and vibe out to this video. Yeah, visual sound is crazy. Like, yeah. I remember, like taking it home and watching it for the first time. It was wild. Any NBDs in there? I don't remember. Um, 360 Flip a Street Gap, maybe. I think so. I don't think anyone had done that yet. Nah. Oh, that, that was something like I think Kalis was trying to get that he wanted in time code, and then they ended up using it in the intro to. Oh, the chaos section for 411 issue 20. Like he actually had like a, a bunch of tricks in there that ended up in that 411 instead of going into his time code part, which is unfortunate. Oh yeah, yeah. Like 360 flipped that one street downhill. Mm-hmm. One course is downhill, like. But yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. What about that? Like, what if your you know what if your NBD ends up as footage in like a 411 or like you said like in a shop video? Still counts. Still counts. Yeah, it counts for sure, but it's just kind of like a shame. And it's like, I don't know, I, I imagine that um, back in the day, it was kind of more up to the filmer where your footage went because, like, the skater just doesn't wouldn't have control over, like, you know, they just go out and film it, and then the filmer has the footage. It's not like, you know, we're not, like, uploading it to Google Drive any, like at that time or anything like that. Mm-hmm. It's like, what's all, whoever has the tape has the power. Yeah. Or like, um, I was just thinking about Paulo Diaz, because I remember reading that when they premiered Las Nueve Vidas de Paco, that the sound was a little off on his part, and he had written, recorded his own music for it, and it was, you know, mixing was off, something like that, and he said he was just crushed by it, and that part was so good, because, you know, everybody knew that his his Nolly game was amazing, and this was a bunch of stuff that was either going to go, I think it was supposed to be in his stereo part. But I think it's like uh, what is Nolly Nose Manual on a picnic table. I think that was NBD, right? Yeah, yeah. I think he did skate to his own music. It was like some pan flute type of shit. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. But and the sound I've never mixed weird, if I recall. It's super, 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 super low. Which I mean, especially as a musician, I, I know that feeling where you hear something like, "Oh man, this is not how this is supposed to sound at all." But yeah, some of his stuff, some of his, he had a really good line. That was in, I think it was 411 issue 9, somewhere towards the end of the video. And he's skating to Savory by Jawbox. And I think it's some of the same footage that ended up in, or it was the same session that ended up in his his chocolate part. But, yeah, that could be a thing. Like, I guess, like, 
if the music is off, you know, that was good music, but what if the music is whack? Does that undermine does that undermine your um your NBD? I don't know. I, I feel like there's not much that's gonna undermine your NBD unless it's like you landed sketchy, you like put your hands down or something. But it's like mm. you know, the NBD is more about like writing it down in a book. It's like it doesn't uh how it looks isn't quite as important. Yeah. The yeah, but the the author of this um the MBD piece mentions uh, Jacques Derrida, the one of the I guess he was the one of the post structuralists of French philosophy, and his whole it's really difficult. I read a bunch of his stuff um, at university, and it's it's kind of difficult. It, it's difficult to distill, but I mean, there the structuralists and the post structuralists were fascinated by this idea that you know there was nothing, there was no such thing as um, there was there was nothing novel. There was nothing new about life. It was really all in the way in which you interpreted it. And it's I don't know. It, it, it's I, I I wonder I wonder if that's almost like sort of like a defeatist attitude because skating is so creative that you can't just you can't just dismiss something as being everybody's going to do something differently. They're going to have their own spin on it. They're gonna they're gonna there's always going to be some way to put your own stamp on something. So it, it's weird. It's it's interesting that the author mentioned Derrida, but I feel like it's like it's almost like it's a it doesn't quite work with skating, especially with how individualistic it is. I understand why they chose it because of the idea of perception and the idea of knowledge and words and whether or not things are, can be subject to interpretation. But there's there's something about it that um, you know round hole square peg. Yeah, I mean, I remember thinking like when uh, virtual reality came out, I'm like, well, this is it. This is the most technical video ever, and no one's ever going to do anything more technical than this, blah, blah, blah. And like, you know, today people are still doing, you know, ledge MBDs, like adding another flip out or whatever. You mm-hmm. know? And so it's just like, um, yeah, that's the cool thing about skating. Like, like MJ said in, you know, this famous uh, intro in uh, Modus Operandi, like it's, you know, an endeavor where you can just kind of think of something and do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and also, I think maybe maybe where you can kind of frame skating in a sort of a, a structuralist or post-structuralist lens is this idea that um, the idea that knowledge is constantly being shaped and reshaped and it's always changing, that it's nothing fixed. Um, and maybe in that aspect, it works. But otherwise, it it almost seems as though it's almost seems as though like, homie, you're doing too much. We, we get it. <laughs> Well, I I applaud the author for uh, bringing in some highbrow shit to some no. skate writing. Shouts to them, but it's hard. <laughs> yeah, and you he he must have anticipated that people were going to push back. One person who's not too concerned about NBDs is Pontus Alve. Slam City <laughs> Skate Shop launched a new interview series entitled Catch Up with a lengthy interview of Pontus Alve. In it, Pontus talks about moving to Portugal, videos, graphics, shoes, and pants. To my mind, Pontus is one of the best brand leaders in skateboarding today. Uh, I found the whole interview super interesting. What about you, Patrick? I think it's awesome. Um, Pontus is one of those people who's quietly been behind the recent revolution in skating, uh, more specifically the small, the revival of small companies. His work with Polar, his collabs with companies such as Converse, and also his he's apparently the sort of person who will take that email, take that phone call. Um, the guys from Carpet in baltimore apparently were before they actually did a formal collab actually communicated with him very frequently and and he was very 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 sort of uh he was very supportive of their work and you know kind of helped them kind of 
you know, just kind of gave them some encouragement and a couple of pointers here and there. The guys from Carpet, you know, pretty much still do everything in-house by themselves, which is really amazing. And But, like, Pontus, I think, really helped create he, – he helped push this paradigm shift, right? Um, somebody who, first of all, moved back to Europe. Um, that's really, really key. And and second of all, somebody who decided I'm going to – you know, I'm going to build up a team. I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to have cool graphics. I'm going to reference – you know, this actually could tie back to MBD, ABD. I'm going to reference a lot of skate history in the products that we make. You know, the, the pants, for example, and also the videos, you know, references to the 8th Street videos and to, to Questionable as well. And he's kind of, he's he's pulling from skate history while reshaping, you know, while he's, you know, contemporaneously shaping the future. And it's really important that he's doing what he's doing right now because you have a generation of kids who are now seeing that it's totally possible to do something do something, do DIY, first of all. And second of all, do something that's actually pushing the culture forward, something that's actually cool. Because Polish stuff is super, super cool. The videos are great. The graphics are awesome. Again, the pants, the pants, the pants, the pants, the pants. And also, um, it's interesting he moved to Portugal. Um, there is a pretty sizable uh, clothing manufacturing, clothing and shoe manufacturing industry in Portugal and Spain. And that goes back to when those two countries first entered the what was then the European Economic Community, now the European Union. And of course, you know, him being Swedish, you know, moving to Portugal is like me moving to New Jersey or moving out here to California. You know, you just show up, you know, you don't have to get a visa. You don't have to get work permits. You know, it's very, very easy for you. And I'm going to, you know, Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to guess that there must be some sort of a grant or something like that for him being a small business owner. I was like, hey, you want to come to Portugal? Let me get you a little tax break. You set up operations over here. You you know, do your thing. Um, and I think it, it's really important that a guy like him is super, super, super visible, you know, having such a long career and, you know, constantly reshaping, reshaping what's, you know, what's acceptable for a an older pro skater or now retired person. Yeah, I enjoy this video as well. Uh, well, First off, little story. When I ordered his video um, and searched the miraculous, he drew a little like personalized sketch on the um, what do you call those things? A little cardboard sleeve, a sleeve mm-hmm. that the DVD comes in, which was super tight. I thought, but yeah, you can tell Pontus is like a uh, World Industries kid. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? He's totally using that model. Like you can see it with a lot of the art direction as. Um, but yeah, it definitely moving the culture forward in terms of like making a brand that the kids fuck with. You know what I mean? Like you go to any shop probably in the country, like the Polar Boards are probably in the middle, mm-hmm. middle row there. And it's one of those brands like Polar, fucking awesome, quasi that yeah. your your average kid really fucks with. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And there's, there's other European brands that have had some kind of presence in the U.S. I mean – First and most famous is Etnies, you know, coming from France, relocating to the U.S., followed by Flip. But this is one that I think, you know, it, it has some subcultural pull to it. And more importantly, he's not based in Southern California with everybody else. He did not, you know, get up and move the entire company to L.A. or to San Diego, you know, somewhere in San Diego County. He was previously in Sweden. Now he's in Portugal. And I think that's a very, very powerful statement, too, because it shows that you do not need to, 
you don't need to come to California to make it, to be successful. You know, he is leveraging the economic advantages that he has as an EU citizen to build yeah, a brand, yeah. you know, to build a brand with a worldwide following, taking advantage of those trade deals, taking advantage of his, uh, you know, visa-free living and travel, and also his established name in professional skating. And that's that's a super powerful thing because, you know, you might have somebody who decides that, oh, man, I'm just going to do like a quick run of shirts. That's awesome. I think that's it's punk rock. And it, it's actually what keeps skating really interesting because there was a period like pre-polar, right? You know, it's like most of the 2000s where like real recognized real board graphics were getting boring. Um, outfits were not so great. Oh, yeah. It was the uh, the all over print era. Yeah, all over print or the t- or the tight pants scarecrow era. And now, mind you, I like wearing tight pants. You know, going out, playing music, such and such. Oh, a little bit more straight leg. Now it's 2020. This is not 2007. But uh, Pontus Heat, man, he goes in. Like he he complains about uh, tight clothes and skating. He says like it doesn't look good. And you know what? He's right. Yeah, I um... gotta be baggy. Gotta be loose. As Happy Monday said, it's gotta be a loose fit. Yeah, I really well. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you know I love. Uh, well, we all love talking about pants, and uh, especially enjoyed the pants minutiae in this interview. Like where he's like, "Well, if the crotch is too short, then you can't move properly." I'm like, "Yes, dude." Yeah, yeah. I'm like, yeah. Or if there's not enough room in the thigh, because thigh area, or whatever, because most skaters have huge, you know, gorilla sized quads. You know. What yeah. I mean? <laughs> so I really loved all that stuff. That was great. Oh, no. I mean, it just it just goes to show like Pontus is is concerned with the minutia, mm. and that's why his videos are so good. That's why the pants yeah. are so good. You know, it's like it's why Polar is so good. Is like he's concerned with all the little the little bits. It's I, also hard to buy baggy pants. What do you mean? It, I think it's um because everybody's body type is different, and all of our body types as as older people. As, as all us old heads, you know, we're not, you know, I'm not 16 anymore. First of all, the market has changed, so it's it's difficult to find baggy pants that you know how the perfect baggy pants, the 1990s, you could um, they had just enough rolls that they didn't touch the ground, like they were just like hitting the heel of your shoe, right? And your tongue of your shoe was big enough that it could you know hold the rest of it, right? And they wouldn't move too much. And you kind of learned how to skate so that you would never mess up the flow of your pants. And now it's just like Dickies are a little too wide, right? Like the straight up ones that you go, like if you go to a supply store and buy those Dickies, it's a little too big. And um, like now as an adult, I have a bit more of a soccer player's body, you know? And so like that does not look good on me at all. So, so like it, it's like it's it's some effort. I did recently cop some Joe Strummer uh levi's like they, there was a run in back in like 2005 or 2006 they did a tribute to joe strummer of the clash and there was this one run of levi's like they have that it has that 90s fit the wash is a little darker so it's not the light joints that everybody used to wear like 94 95 but like the fit the fit is perfect it's like perfect waist enough folds on the back it's like this is it's a process man it's like this is difficult yeah yeah i hear you i think well, I'm in the middle of doing like a pants audit um, before I get, <laughs> before I get any new pants. I uh, you know like get rid of some you know like fun you know focus on the ones work with. Like the last pants I got were some Levi's five four five four one I think like baggy fit or whatever. Those are working pretty good. 
But um, what else does he say about pants? But he's like, yeah, like he might have mentioned this this before, but he's like, yeah, most people's favorite pants are like some random shit that the company made once and then never made again. You know what I mean? Which is I mean, super. My favorite playable. pants are that. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That that's the thing. Yeah, I think all my favorite pants are that. I've got some CCS jeans that like are long out of production. I've got these Nike like summer weight pants that are like the best pants ever and they stopped making those. And then I remember I had these LL Bean chinos that were really fucking good. Yeah. Ago. Like yeah, same. I had like well, I still have these like P Rod, you know, signature jeans that are awesome that I still wear all the time, but like they oh yeah, the P-Rod signature uh, khakis are also really good. Yeah, I blew those out, and I tried to fix them, but it didn't work. So I had to RIP them. <laughs> I had a pair of those, and I had uh, I like tightened the legs based <laughs> on those jeans that I liked. Yeah. But I didn't ever trim the fabric. So I was like, oh, these are too tight. I think I want like the baggy look now. So I just like ripped the stitching that I did, and then I had baggy baggier chinos again yeah there you go yo shout out the whole p-rod series of uh signature pants like bring that shit back yeah i think now's the time that shit was legit so back to pontus and polar patrick you were bringing up uh other like european brands like flip and blueprint and cliche and i feel like all those kind of had a gimmick you know like flip is like we're like british and same with um uh blueprint and then like cliches like we're all europe and i feel like polar even though it you know it was like we're all europe it didn't feel exclusionary like that it was like more about these are the cool fucking riders not because they're from europe not that we're excluding people from america it's just like these guys are the fucking guys whereas i think those other brands felt like oh yeah that american dude probably would fit but you know He's American, so we're not going to put him on. You know, and all the brands have evolved to, like, include a wider range of people from different countries. But I don't know. Polar just feels different. Maybe that tangent didn't go anywhere. I don't know. No, 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 you're right. Like, Polar, like, Flip was like, well, we're like, you know, the little kids that jump down handrails, blah, blah, blah. Like, we're, we're like the handrail guys or whatever. Cliche was tight, but that was more like a niche, niche kind of thing. Like, you know, for me and my fellow, like, Euro, uh obsesses but polar like they have a really diverse team they got like transition dudes they got like i'm gonna butcher his name for the million like yalte yalte yeah yalte yeah yeah. he's like yeah like my boy lucas says he's like ronnie krieger on steroids (laughs) (laughs) you got like good description yeah you got like the uh the creative you know type of dudes like your aaron harrington's so um yeah yeah, Basario, who's just like fucking aggro. So like yeah. they have a really diverse squad. You can't really pin it, pin them down. Like, well, this is like the tech ledge team, or this is like the handrail team. Know what yeah. I mean? Um, you know what? I think it was also like those those other companies, the those more foundational company uh, European transplant companies. Um, it would flip like flip has a very or had a very very distinct sort of vibe about them, which was at least of the initial core excluding um uh runa glifberg you know it was all englishmen in southern california and that's like a whole culture that's a whole subculture that's been here since the, the 1970s like yeah you know th- that it's a completely different vibe these 
<laughs> it's a bit like uh, like the English folk you you see in the south of France or the south of Spain. You know, they just they just they move different, right? Um, and with cliche, I mean, I hate to say it, like I think that they kind of got a little bit lost under the dwindle umbrella. Um, there were so sure. many other brands and so much other stuff happening. And it was like it was sad when like when the company closed its doors because like they had this amazing team, the you know the the boards were cool. Um, thankfully, a lot of them have moved on to other companies. I mean, even Blueprint too. Like Blueprint is considered one of those companies that like no Blueprint, no Palace, right? Like they really kicked open the doors. And you know, like those the originators are not always going to have you know the originators are not always going to be they're not always going to be cool. They're not always going to be in style, and they're not always going to have the longevity that they, you know, that they deserve. But what they what they do is that they 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 plant a seed, and I think Polar took the best bits from all of those folks and took it back to Europe and said, no, 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 you know, we're gonna we're gonna do this. We're gonna be, you know, I'm gonna be based out. I'm gonna be based over here. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go out of my way to to Californian uh, Californias the brand or whatever it is that I'm doing. And I, I think that's I think that's why they've stood out. And I think that's why I think that's why Pontus gets a lot of respect. And also like another thing another thing, I don't know if they um, just scrolling through yeah, they they show it a bit, but his whole work in just DIY, you know? And I'm not talking about like the whack DIY spots that you were sometimes seeing here. <laughs> <laughs> we won't name names of certain pros <laughs> who tried to put those things in videos. But um <laughs> You know, it, like it, there was something about just felt cool and like really innovative. And there's a bunch of people all over the country, all over the world who are just like, just make it. Let's just just, you know, just like we'll build a quarter pipe up to this wall. And like you can work on these crazy wall rides like that one in um, I think it's in Copenhagen with the train bank spot. It, yeah, I think that's in Malmo. Oh, it's in Malmo. OK, but yeah, close, but not that like close. that's like <laughs> that's like his spot. You know, I feel like it's so closely associated with Pontus. You know, I feel like Malmo just in general is like so closely associated with Pontus. I feel like the move to Portugal feels kind of weird to me. I mean, I'm sure Portugal is a lot nicer than Sweden a lot of the time. Yeah, he's in Porto, which is absolutely beautiful. Some of the best food, uh, the best wine, the shopping is incredible. I went to one of the best record shops I've ever been to, you know, and I've been to a lot and I've worked in a couple. Man. It's it's nice, and I think he's probably. I'm gonna guess he's probably there to be a little bit closer to the business because he alludes to that in the interview, and he talks about how, you know, a man is waiting on samples, and then this comes back not so right, and it's a little bit easier if you can just kind of roll up and you know keep an eye on things concurrently and not have to lose days or weeks within the production process because something doesn't look a certain way. Yeah, I mean, from a business perspective, especially with you know someone as hands-on as uh, Pontus, it, it totally makes sense, especially with starting a new uh, shoe venture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's shoes, it's like, you know, skate, skaters are obsessed with pants, we're fucking obsessed with shoes, too. Like, every little detail, like the eyelets, mm-hmm. the, li- the lining, whatever, you know what I mean? So The profile. Yeah, the profile, especially with that shit going on, um, definitely makes sense from, from that perspective. I think. His shoe company, it's... It's, I mean, it's bold. It is bold to be starting and launching a shoe company in the midst of probably the <laughs> greatest global economic downturn since the Great Depression. You know, I mean, we've blown the Great Recession numbers out of the water. But 
you know, there's, I think clearly he's seeing a lane for, he's seeing a lane for it. He's, he's like, look, not everybody wants to ride for Nike or Adidas, but not everybody is, you know, keen on Vans or Soltech or DC. So he's, you know, he mentioned that he wants to make a nice, simple, straight up shoe that looks dope. And I mean, if I can get a pair, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely rock them. You know, I mean, I think that's, that's the, he, he's, he's, and maybe this is him just being a little bit ahead of the curve because I think that um, there's a lot of folks who are still like wondering like what do I want to like what do I want to represent in being a sponsored skater or like yeah. in terms of my footwear game like do I want to get Nikes or Adidas and I'm not, I'm talking about this like outside of like how New York Philly and San Francisco were doing it where it was just like you find cool Nikes and Adidas and they looked fly I'm talking about like being full on sponsored by either of those two major corporations who now have very entrenched positions in skateboarding and contribute a lot, but there's still, you know, I think it's fair to say that there's still some folks who view them with either a bit of discomfort or suspicion. And Pontus understands that, you know, understands that, like, yo, there's people who want an option, right? They want yeah. something new. I mean, yeah, he definitely makes a point in that interview. Like, there's a opening in the market there for people who want shoes that look dope but don't have a big ass swoosh or three stripes or whatever mm-hmm. on the side know what i mean so yeah. he definitely has a point there definitely. yeah he he's again he, he's i think he's he might be ahead of the curve on this one and i think that um he's he's probably noticing something that maybe people don't quite have the vocabulary to explain or or you know he's just saying out loud. he's like i'm gonna make shoes but it's such a commitment you know <laughs> You know, anybody can screen shirts. You can, you know, you can teach yourself how to screen print, you know, making pants a little bit harder. Although there's a there's a woman in, here in L.A. who does a company called uh, Mama Skate that uh, she does really cool pants that you, that are unisex. But I think uh, because L.A. is a, still a huge clothing manufacturing hub and garment manufacturing overall, you can you can get pants made here. You know, you come up with something, you come up with a template. It'll come back a lot quicker than, say, like most shoes now, a lot of shoes are made in China. You know, it's been that way since full normalization of trade relationship with China. Like shoes are made in China to a lesser extent to in Vietnam and in Bangladesh. And that's a longer turnaround. You know, it's like a it's a longer back and forth period. So, you know, there's yeah. still an established footwear manufacturing scene and an industry in Portugal. And I think, you know, Pontus was like, hey, if. I can get this right you know i might be able you know i might be on to something maybe there'll be other people who think about coming out here and doing some shoes maybe that's maybe that's why that I mean, he's trying to he might be trying to shepherd us yeah i mean it's just like with any other business you know you start small you mm-hmm. mentioned the interview like the manufacturer he's working with had low minimums or whatever pro like 10 percent of china or whatever you know mm-hmm. and so yeah it's like just like anything man like start small see what happens you know like, yeah i feel like Pontus is is one of the few people starting a shoe brand who actually like still has juice. I feel like a lot of people starting shoe brands that like kind of don't have that juice <laughs> yeah. like, on on the end of their careers or they're like, you know, not a pro skater. You know, like who's the person behind state footwear or like you know, any other of the small footwear brands? I feel like you know, it's like, oh, that's like a dude with a cool idea, but like, you know. Pontus has a cool idea for shoes. Like everybody sits up and listens and is interested mm. to see what happens. Yeah, uh, and you know what? I'll tell you. If so, if someone showed up at the park with some of those shoes with the little 
character peeking out, everyone would be like, oh, shit, what are those? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that's, totally. that's yeah, they the would juice. be like, why is this guy wearing bobos at the skate park? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's the juice. And also it, it gives – it gives folks an option. It gives skaters an option to support something that's uh, organically skateboarding, straight up. Because I mean, like the whole, whole trend was like slip-ons and chucks and such. Like, it, this was just stuff that was available. You know, this was like, yo, it's cheap. I can buy two or three pairs. Like, or, word, let me hit the outlet mall. You know, and get a bunch of them on super discount. But the thing is. You know, these are actually made to skate. And so they are, you know, the the stitching is a certain way. And, you know, I, I think it's like, I think you're right. He he has a certain amount of juice. He's got clout. Like when, when he talks, people listen, you know, his and he has been so su- continuously successful in a career that like in the grand scheme of things, like, you know, he started off as Euro dude on uh, Mad Circle at the end of Mad Circle in Five Flavors, which is a dope video. But the music direction was off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. watching Five Flavors, you never guess where Pontus would. You know, there's no, not even a glimmer of polar. No, in that Five Flavors part. Yeah, no, like maybe in Bobby Pulio's, but then like no, it, as it turns up, like no, nah, we're all still watching Pontus, and Bobby Pulio is out there astral projecting. He's out there somewhere, like on the Gowanus Turnpike or something. <laughs> He's just chilling on the canal, and just being like, "Yo, yo, see, check it. Two towers, twin towers. He's two, at- two, two plus two is what? Four, right? No, wrong. Actually, it's five. You know, decalcify your pineal gland, God. Get at me when you write. <laughs> He's looking for spots somewhere, like on a." whatever at the lie or something at the beginning of the lie no it's like like because like pulio went on like to do infamous and like because like, i think pontus was on pontus was on arcade and then, and oh, then yeah, i think cliche yep yeah but like it, it's one of those like you you never would have guessed it but like he could have easily become one of those cats just like oh this was like the one euro dude who was on the team you know he could have end up like with a career like say like the, the very awesome Carl Shipman, who was kicked out of the U.S. for visa. He overstayed his visa, went to Canada for Slam City Jam. And, you know, pre-9-11, like, he can, I think he can come back now. But it was one of those things, like, people were doing that back then, and it was not the brightest move. Because the next thing, you know, it was just like, oh, no, you're banned from coming into the country for the next two to five years, however long. Um, yeah, yeah, that, 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 that Mad Circle video, like, there was something about it, like, it felt like an unceremonious end to a company that had, first of all, amazing graphics, excellent ads, and the boards were the. I think those are some of the, still like some of the best boards I've ever skated. The Carl Watson deck that was so 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 good. Um, but yeah, like Pontus, like Pontus, like he blossomed. He blossomed into this really amazing and very powerful and influential and individualistic skater. And there should be more – the industry should be keen to produce more people like him because, you know, it allows skating to continuously regenerate and change. And, you know, we need more Pontus stories and we need fewer epically later like, oh, you know, just like things got crazy. And then next thing <laughs> you know, like sponsors all drop me and, you know, we set the house on fire. Yeah. You, you never know. Like it's like you never know what you can do. You know, it's kind of like Steve Kerr. With the Bulls, like he was kind of like a nondescript three-point specialist or whatever. Yeah. Kind of, kind of like Pontus is a nondescript Euro dude on that circle. Mm-hmm. But Steve Kerr became this, you know, really dope 
coach. You know what I mean? Never would have thought he had it in him. So you never know, man, until you try. So yeah, and also like I think um, like real recognized real. I think because Pontus has worked with companies like Carpet because he has worked with a lot of small brands or scaling brands in in the game that he also has a lot of respect from people who are trying to do something different, right? Oh, yeah. And that 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 you know that that's juice right there. It's like you said that's juice. Like there's a lot of people who got a lot of love for him because like he's not just out here, you know, cuz like God bless Rocco, but like Rocco <laughs> Rocco was like you couldn't like just call up Rocco and be like, "Yo my man, how do I like get a bunch of cool writers and like start doing some controversial graphics?" You could like you couldn't just call up Rocco. You could send an email now, you know what it is? Pontus Alve is a bit like Steve Albini. Because Steve Albini is engineer, not producer. He hates the term producer. But Steve Albini, as somebody in the recording industry, is somebody that you could hit up and be like, yo, Steve Albini, how do I do this mic placement? Or can you give me a decent rate? My band has no money, but we really want to record with you, right? He's somebody who's super transparent about the process. He's somebody who tries to... To, you know, financialize when he needs to, just so that he can continue doing what he loves doing. And he's somebody who has such attention to detail in the craft that you can immediately tell. You can immediately tell Steve Albini drums the same way that you can tell a Pontus graphic. You know, on whatever it is. You know, like that collab they did with Converse. You know, they had that really cool shirt, the pocket tee. You know, again, same thing. It's like somebody who's transparent, but then also really approachable. And I think a lot of the, that creates a lot of really positive feedback. You know, he's not this mysterious figure just like posted up somewhere. You know, he's like, no, nah, man, I'm in Porto. You know, holler when you see me. <laughs> Steve, Steve, Steve Albini, what do you do besides Nirvana? Like whole, like a ministry? A lot. He did um, Page and Plant. Um, oh, that it, one, yeah. Yeah, that one I think he paid for a lot of new microphones for his studio. Like he charged some exorbitant yeah, rate. Same thing with Nirvana. The Breeders. Uh, yeah, yeah, all that shit kind of has a similar type of vibe. Oh, uh, some Jesus Lizard. Yeah, he has, he has a lot of credit. He has some long credits. Um, but yeah, like he's he's like he's you know he he's a prickly dude. Like, but that's like some typical Gen X. Like, I hate everything. Weird, you know? <laughs> but but like apparently shout he's, out Gen X. Shout out. <laughs> he's apparently very easy to just get in touch with and like if you like what is it james murphy from lcd sound system said that when he was setting up his studio in the west village that they called albini and like they did like a conference call and you know he kind of just like talked them through like this is what you should do this is what you need to do for place you know mic placement all this other stuff and that's super admirable you know that's super super admirable because you know it shows that this is us. This is a community. This is not just uh, somebody who's decided they're going to become a mogul, you know? Because he could have. Pontus could have done that. He could have done that. He could have just like, but I'm going to keep doing collabs and getting this money. Well, I'm stoked that Pontus is doing more than just getting that money and doing collabs. Which brings us to the end of our show where we talk about what we're stoked on. Jason, what are you stoked on this week? Well, as usual, uh, stoked on the uh, venture truck company out of San Francisco, California. Also stoked on a current event. As you probably know, current events are super dark and bleak. But um, this week, I was like a couple of days ago, they removed a couple of the uh, Confederate statues here in Richmond, Virginia, which was amazing. Like, I lived here pretty much my whole life, seeing these statues, like, all the time. And uh, it was a crazy moment to see him on a flatbed truck just, like, out of here. So that was a... That's wild. I see. Yeah, it's it's really fucking wild. Um, 
they got rid of the Stonewall Jackson one, the Commodore Mori one, the real famous one, the Robert E. Lee one. That's in a legal battle because it's technically owned by the state. Mm-hmm. It's in the deed, right? Like they can't uh, remove yeah, the statue. Yeah, it's some weird shit. Like the deed is like until time in memoriam or whatever. <laughs> it's 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 in a um it's in a legal battle, but like the governor, it, he's made it clear that he wants it gone. So I was definitely stoked on that this week. Also um, stoked on Jake Johnson, the movie. Some uh, fucking saint of a human being, I forget his name at the moment, made like a 27-minute Jake Johnson edit, which is unbelievable. Like, it's kind of like the equivalent of like someone who put, put together like a 20-minute like Julian Stranger part in like 1996. You know what I mean? He's like one of those dudes. Wow. So, so yeah. one of those. Well, I'm going to watch that. Yeah. Watch so, it tonight. Definitely one of those, like, you know, type of uh, figures that has a, uh, like, an aura about him. So, definitely stoked on that collection of footage there. Some of which is from, like, Cinematographer Project, GX, whatever. But mm. the guy the guy who made it really curated it super well. You know what I mean? I mm. made, it, made it seem like an actual video part, not just, like, a bunch of footage spliced together. You know what I mean? 27 minutes. It's 27 minutes, bro. But it doesn't Ooh. feel like it. It's sick, though. So, uh, Patrick, what are you stoked on this week? I'm stoked on several things. Um, I'm stoked on uh, Lucas Puig and Brianna King's interviews, respectively, in Jenkum. Uh, shout out to Lucas Puig for being uh, my fashion guru. <laughs> I take a lot from uh, la style française, la mode française, uh, especially the shorts. Uh, like baggy pants, yeah, but got to be short shorts. It's summer. It's hot. <laughs> It's gotta be. It's gotta be short shows. It's like my ninth grade French class. We did a whole unit on La Mode and haute couture <laughs> and all that type of shit. Oh uh, yeah, Magenta makes amazing shorts. Those are probably some of the best because they're kind of like the uh, Patagonia baggies. You can wash them, you just squeeze yeah. them out. Ooh, perfect. Um, I really liked the shout out to uh, skate Twitter user Jokamundo. He has a podcast that he just dropped, solo joint called Skating Is Hard. Episode one, I mean, he he dives in it. He, he talks about current events. He talks about race. He talks about uh, historical stuff in skating. Like, I'm feeling it, feeling it. Like, it's it's really, really dope. Right. Um, as, a, uh, as, as one of those bad kids who used to light off fireworks, I'm psyched on the fireworks. I think it's wild that there are people who think it's psyops. I think this really reveals who was hanging out at brunch, you know, in their 20s instead of still lighting off fireworks. <laughs> You know, <laughs> fireworks are very easy to procure, especially big ones. And I'm hyped on them. Sorry to all you dog owners. My cat does not care. And uh, <laughs> and kielbasa because it's Fourth of July weekend, and we're going to be growing up some kielbasas on the fourth. It's going to be lit. I'm super pumped. It's uh, yeah, we're sick. Say one for me. <laughs> you like mustard, brown mustard, or honey mustard? Uh, let's go brown mustard. Hell yeah! What are you stoked on? I am stoked on rediscovering an Australian radio show called House Party. I used to listen to it a lot um, years ago when I had to do these analytics reports. And uh, it's just like a three-hour party mix uh, from an Australian radio show or radio station called Triple J, which is kind of like Australian public radio, but not not in the same vein as public radio here in the States. But the show is kind of like a pre-party warm-up. And for me, it's like a Monday morning writing analytics report music, like background music source. Uh, I've discovered a lot of music in there throughout the years. So um, 
highly recommend for some some party vibes or background music vibes uh and you know to discover some new music so that's what i'm stoked on this week also shout out to uh jacamundo and skating is hard definitely um go give that a listen for sure great yeah and shout out to avalanches speaking of australia because god like since i left you that album i have such amazing like beautiful just great memories of it it was um when i was living in nice that was like the get ready and go out album people it was one of those it was one of those albums that was on at everybody's house it was at every party it was something you listen to on your own as like even to this day it's one of those ones that just like puts a big smile on my face it's like man i might have to bump that tomorrow right linked in the show notes <laughs> That's it for our show this week. Be sure to check out MostlySkateboarding.net for links to things that we talked about and other show notes. You can catch up with us all week online. Jason, where can the people find you? On the Twitter, at Carbonite1994. Uh, on the Instagram, at FrozenCarbonite. And writing stuff for CorderSnacks.com. A couple of things in the works as we speak. Nice. Looking Patrick, forward to it. Yeah, Patrick, where can the people find you? All right. You can find me on Twitter at... at Colonel K speaks. Um, spelling will be in the show notes. If you can't spell Colonel, that's the military rank, not the popcorn Colonel. And at Instagram, just P Kigongo, P K I G O N G O. It's pronounced just like it's spelled. Perfect. Hard hitting question. Where can the people find you? Uh, I am on Twitter at Mostly Skate and on Instagram at Mostly Skateboarding. We'll see you guys next week. Later. Be safe. Be safe.